1: Right now, Thomas Burns is an open book for Ray and backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory.
0: The to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Nights with me your host Sean Bastow and shortly to be joined by Johnston Brown. Today's episode is voted for by you the listeners and the users of Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. You voted for the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier the thriller in Manila but before we get into the episode I just want you guys to go and find us on social media and follow us on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR. Boxing podcast. Also, if you use podcasting apps like Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, you can also find us. Subscribe to the feed on there, it's free. You'll get all the latest episodes of all our series, including The Life and Times of, The Legendary Knights, Ones to Watch, and also The Promoter Life. Please go and subscribe, rate us, review us, we really, really appreciate it. So let's get into it then, guys. This is the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, the thriller in Manila.
1: It will be a killer and a chiller and a thriller when I get the gorilla in Manila. Ladies and
0: gentlemen, this is Cassius Marcellus Clay. He's young. Johnston, this is the Thriller in Manila. It's one we've both been really looking forward to. It's the first fight of Muhammad Ali's you've covered for the Legendary Knights series. And I know it's one you've been really excited to cover, as always, because it's one of the greatest fights of all time.
2: Oh, it is, mate. Um, I mean, we have covered some amazing Legendary Nights uh, in the last couple of months, so sure. But, I mean, this one takes exception. Um, it's just, it not only is the fight terrific, but... You know, the two guys that were involved were just, you know, they were phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, just just really easy to, to just get involved in it. And, uh, you know, this is this is basically the godfather of Legendary nights I mean.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, it's from the same generation as the films The Godfather and what a fight it was and you'll hear us say that throughout this episode because it was a fantastic fight. The definition of a fight inside of a phone box or if you're in America, a phone booth. So (laughs) (laughs) let's get into the episode. As always, we will be covering it in the same format as the Legendary Night series has shown. So we'll be covering off the careers of both men in the lead up to this particular fight we will then talk about the build-up for this fight which has got a lot of shenanigans that went on I must say from the off so we've got the build-up to cover and then we've got the fight itself to cover and of course the aftermath what it meant for both men in the aftermath of this fight so let's get into it then and start with the career of Joe Fraser first let's let's start with Fraser in the lead-up to this fight with Ali so we're only going to skip back to 1974 and look at what fights he had. And what fights he were involved in. Because he fought Muhammad Ali in 1974 in the January. Which was the second fight of their trilogy. In which he lost via unanimous decision. So that was another good fight of the trilogy is probably not the best one if i was going to rank it at the fights from best to worst i'd probably say the third one which we're covering today is the best the fight of the century was probably the second best and this one in 74 was probably the for me the the, the worst of well it's the best of the worst kind of it's, it's a strange saying to to even think about talking about but this second fight between the two was probably the worst one of the three fights so he lost to Harley, nineteen seventy four, January nineteen seventy four, and then he come back with two TKO victories. The first one was in June of seventy four against Jerry Quarry, and the second one was against Jimmy Ellis, and that was where it sort of summed up this fight between these two happening again because there was always there was always going to be another fight between these two. It was obvious from the first moment they laced the gloves up in that ring in the first fight in 71 that these two were destined to meet three times. It was it was like the writing was always going to be on the wall for the fight and the two wins that Fraser had over Quarry and Ellis set him up nicely for the fight with Ali, who at this point, Ali was the WBA and WBC heavyweight champion of the world. So this meant a lot more as well because of the fact that there were two titles on the line going into that fight. But let's just go back then, Johnson. Talk about the Quarry and Ellis wins, and also, obviously, the second fight of Arlie and Frazier's.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It was a bit of an anticlimax. climax uh, the second fight. Um, I mean, Yank Durham, who was um, uh, who was Frazier's main man, within sort of the corner, um, he actually uh, passed away in the summer of 73, just before that fight as well. So, yeah, you know, I think I think that would have been a, a factor in uh, Fraser's performance because it wasn't his best performance. Uh, Eddie Futch was his assistant coach at the time, but then he stepped up. Also, Ken Norton's trainer, so he stepped up to be the primary sort of main man when um, Yank Durham did pass away. And uh, yeah, he wasn't best pleased with with the tactics of of Muhammad Ali, uh, and he he, uh, he he just kept moaning about at the referee just allowing. Sort of early to keep holding and he was just grabbing inside which you could probably clearly see it, at times the referee probably should have him up but he didn't and it just that sort of messed up Fraser really, didn't really he He couldn't get going because you know Fraser's that he needs to be on the inside really he needs to be walking his man down as you, as many will know with Fraser as a fighter but yeah then, and obviously the Jerry Quarry fight after the second uh, victory the second fight and the loss Sort of evened the spills a bit. Um, So yeah, uh, Jerry Coyne, another good fighter. Uh, repeat victory for uh, for Frazier. Uh, He carried him in the fifth. And then Jimmy Ellis, uh, which was uh, again as uh, a second fight um, against Jimmy Ellis. The, the first one obviously was to unify the division, um, the WBC vacant title, WBA title as Jimmy Ellis held at the time. So yeah, it, it got given him. Um, and its had uh, actually had a cut on his eye as well, so I think, I think that was the reason for the stoppage, if I remember rightly. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was—you know—the thing. You, the thing, The whole situation with Fraser Ali is that Fraser had those tough fights. He had two tough fights uh, with Fraser, um, and and Ali weren't too—he weren't too keen for the third one. Although, as you say, inevitably, it was always going to happen further down the road, um, and, and thankfully it did. But. Yeah, um, they basically, you know, in terms of Dundee and and his whole team that Arlie was with, and they basically said that he was shot and they said that Frazier is, you know, he's done. So, you know, it's not going to be as hard as you think. Um, and we all know that basically he didn't quite out <laughs> that way.
0: Well, just going back to what you were talking about about the second fight between the two of them, uh, a lot of the reasoning behind the third fight actually happening, and I'll only touch briefly on it at this point because we are going to cover a lot of stuff in the build up. But there was a lot of complaining from from Fraser's team, Eddie Futch in particular, because in the second fight, as you rightly pointed out, there was a lot of he was he was sort of grabbing around the neck a lot in the second fight and sort of pulling him down, uh, you know, and and he was really you know. The, the stuff that he was doing in the second fight was really kind of spoiling the fight. It was a it was a real spoiler fight. I mean, it had its great moments. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was a real sort of spoil fest in terms of the tactics that were employed in it. And and obviously the fact that it was one apiece also made this big difference as well because you know they they wanted to settle the score. These two had been honour each other all the way from 1971, and it just it was always this little bit of animosity there between You know, we had all the incidents which we've spoke about recently on the, the best boxing brawls episode where in in the lead up to the second fight obviously they was on the he was on the talk show where they were doing the rerun of the second of the first fight and then they slagging each other off and then obviously Ali pulls Fraser to the floor and they have that scuffle and it, it was just always always destined to, to meet each other one more time. So Fraser gets the wins over Quarry over Ellis and puts himself into position Fight Ali for a third and final time for the WBA WBC Heavyweight Championships of the World. So, switching over to Ali, then obviously, we we all know the story with Ali, we all know where he was at the time. Thinking back to what his 1974 and 75 were like before the third Joe Fraser fight, looking at the fights that Ali were involved in, you've got to think about the the second Fraser fight happened in January 74, and then and he went straight into a big fight which we've covered on Legendary Nights before. It was George Foreman. It was the Rumble in the Jungle in October of 74. So if you've not heard the Rumble in the Jungle episode, go back and listen to that one as well. That was an absolutely cracking episode and a cracking fight. And where he first employed the old rope-a-dope tactic against George Foreman beating him and stopping him and knocking him out. So, moving on then, he goes into 1975 in March and he beats the real-life Rocket, Chuck Weppner and defends the WBA and WBC Heavyweight Championships of the World. And... The reference to Rocky there is actually, apparently, Sylvester Stallone based his character Rocky on the fighter Chuck Webner. If it's something you didn't already know, you do now. So he beats Chuck Webner and then he goes in with a tough fight against Ron Lyall and then beats Joe Bugner in Kuala Lumpur, which is kind of setting the scene for this third fight with Joe Fraser because obviously it was over in Asia and the fight happened in the Philippines that's why it was entitled The Thriller in Manila of course but the Kuala Lumpur fight was it was all about it was all about networking it was all about bringing Ali to different places of the world because he was a global superstar at this point so he beats Joe Bugner via a unanimous decision which then sets up the fight with Joe Fraser. So, going back to obviously Ali's 74 and 75, thoughts on the fights with Foreman, Webner, Lyle, and Bugner?
2: Well, um, I mean, Chuck Webner, as you say, yeah, he was the real real life Rocky, Sly, obviously, in the crowd at the time, wasn't he? And he, he liked the fact that Chuck Webner, this, this is basically no hope but it just gets cut to bits isn't he he's just always getting cut I mean he got badly his has got ripped apart by Sonny Liston. Um we did a bloodbath that one by the way um, and yeah so uh, he actually well he didn't put Arley down Arley t- took a slip so he slipped over his foot and went over Arley so uh, a few people I think the referee maybe thought it was a, a knockdown I, I can't quite remember rightly but yeah, Chuck Wettner, Um you know, it, again, 15 rounds for Ali. It was a pretty one-sided fight. Um, and then, obviously, the Ron Lyle fight as well. It, you know, it was a close fight. Um, Ali, before, obviously, he stopped him in the 11th. It was a very, very close fight in the first sort of four, uh, sort of eight rounds, if you like. It's pretty even. Um, and then Joe Bugner, who was a young guy as well, Joe. Um, Joe Bugner actually fought Joe Frazier as well not long before frazier uh, against sorry he fought frazier before he fought Ali as well so you know bugner was sort of literally their almost like their last or well, they're both their last fights before going in to the uh thriller in Manila, if i remember right oh no not quite this is the second fight wasn't it for frazier but um yeah joe bugner um, a little bit underrated by the british public He didn't really get behind him he got a lot of stick um when you know he went a british fighter went 10, 15 rounds with both of them um, and, and Ali was always very complimentary about Bugner um, and, and, his, and his performances and he even said that with him being so young that one day he's going to go on to be a world champion but unfortunately it didn't quite happen for Joe but um, yeah it was another good fight, another good performance from Ali and it was just yeah, it was it just hotting up nicely for, for the main event it was I think before the Bugner fight it was more or less signed the deal so it was ready to go um, and yeah it was yeah, that's
0: it really. We're, we're ready for the big one. We're ready for the big one, indeed. I'm going to the build up of it, and the reason we've we've not touched overly on on the careers of both men in the lead up to this fight is because of the build up to this particular fight. There's so much that goes on, and when I mentioned shenanigans at the start. I mentioned Anigans, there's so many things that, that actually went on in the build-up to this particular fight. So, as you were alluding to, it was it was sort of near enough a signed, sealed, delivered deal. And the build-up to it, we had the president of the Philippines, Fernando, uh, Ferdinand Marcos. He wanted to hold uh, the bout in Metro Manila and sponsor it in order to put attention on the Philippines as a great nation, having declared martial law just three years earlier in 1972. So they managed to get this deal with Mr. Slippery makes an appearance back on the podcast again, Mr. Don King back. He was obviously the man behind this one, as always. In the lead-up to the fight, as always, Ali and Frazier going at it. It was another another epic build-up because... You got another you got another monumental quote out of it. And in the in the build up to this one, we had Ali verbally abusing Fraser, nicknaming Fraser the gorilla.
1: People wanna see me and Joe Fraser. They still think Joe Fraser can beat me. They don't wanna see me and Ken Norton. They don't wanna see me and George Foreman. They wanna see me and Joe Fraser, although George Foreman annihilated Frazier, and George Fullman will beat Frazier every day in the week. George Fullman will beat Ken Norton every day in the week, and I will beat George Fullman every day in the week, right. but the fools still think that that chunk, Joe Frazier, can beat me because he went the distance twice and it ended up on a close decision. I'm going to give him a real whooping, and I wrote a poem, some of you heard it, but this is a little conscience. I got a little gorilla here. This is his conscience. I keep it right in my pocket everywhere I go. Right there <laughs> and a short poem it says there will be a killer and a thriller
0: and a chiller when I get the gorilla in Manila and he come up with another absolute fantastic rhyme which you may have heard at the start of the episode and it goes it will be a killer and a thriller and a chiller when I get the gorilla in Manila and whilst he was doing that whilst punching an action figure sized gorilla doll it just it's just Harley all over <laughs>
2: He really knew how to, to get underneath Frazier's skin, for sure. And, and at this point, Frazier had been listening to this since, since 1971 in the first fight. So at one point, they were good friends. I mean, Frazier was, was all a part of it. Uh, he, he went even to see President Nixon, and he wanted to get Ali's license. You know, he'd he done a lot of things, even give him some money as well to help him um, during his exile from boxing at the time. But, uh, yeah, he, he loved to just wind him up. And, you know, with, with the first two, it was all about, you know, he was basically uh, an Uncle Tom and, and he was a white man's champion, um, which really sort of did uh, annoy Frasier. and he, To the extent where, you know, he would get death threats because people jumped on the bandwagon. And his son, uh, Marvis, was actually it, sort of having fights in school because of it. So he really did know how to... Had to sell a fight, um, and, and, and to be fair, in Ali's, you know, in his ignorance, if you like, you know that he, he wasn't from Fraser's background, so it's quite funny the things that he was saying about Fraser, because it, you know he had a hard life, Fraser, compared to Ali. Ali. You know, it, you know, he didn't have anything even nearly as bad as the, what what Frazier had in his life. But yeah, he did just love it. I mean, there was there was you saying that about that 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 one quote. There was another one as well where he said, "There, uh, it may shock and a major, but I'm gonna destroy Joe Frazier." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's gonna happen when you meet smoking Joe? And I said, "Joel's gonna come out smoking, and I ain't gonna be joking. I'll be pecking and a poking." pouring water on his smoking and then this might shock and amaze you but I will destroy Joe Frazier so he was just full of
2: this willing to win. He, he, he literally had and he had his own problems he had, he had the problems with his girlfriend where he, you know, he, got, he got caught I think he was when he met the, the president of the Philippines he had a, another woman with him and then his woman his actual wife was back at home see that she was with him and he had introduced her as his wife as his mistress and she flew over in a hot rage and she just Went at Arlie as well. She apparently went mad, and then the other the, the missus he had, she ended up uh, disappearing and get caught, caught. She got caught pictured with a Fraser t-shirt on. So uh, it was all a bit of a mess for Arlie in terms of his, sort of his family life, I suppose. But you know, he was a bit of a woman either, Arlie. But you know, he, he, and he and he sort of underestimated him. As I say, you know, the idea was, was that Fraser was shot, so um, he he wasn't expecting Fraser to be good at all. So yeah, he just loved to to basically piss off Fraser. Fraser just, he, he, in the end, he was just vexed of it all. I think, and he was just he had
0: enough. <laughs> well, he was telling a reporter Ali that his pre-fight strategy was to get get him mad. So he was like, "I like to get a man mad because when a man's mad, he wants you so bad he can't think." So I like to get a man mad. You know, one of his one of his <laughs> great quotes again. You know, he just but that strategy had actually worked in his favour the previous year when he'd fought George Foreman because we'd seen the introduction of the rope-a-dope tactic which has gone on in infamy over the years because of the way Foreman was pounding away and pounding away for, for, for all of the fight and just got physically exhausted and Ali was just taking it, absorbing it but then talking to, to Foreman at the same time and still, still wittering away to him in the ring telling him, is, is that all you got, George? So... You know, that tactic worked beautifully for him in that fight. And at the time, everybody was thinking, you know, Ali's just getting his ass handed to him here. But then when he came back and the way he stopped Foreman was something to behold because nobody was expecting it nobody was picking Ali to win everybody was picking Foreman to win so that tactic in that fight had worked perfectly but he started to use it a little bit more in fights and as we get into the fight a little bit later we'll start to talk about the use of that tactic yet again now that leads me nicely really into the the, the next part of the build-up which is Fraser's corner man Eddie Future you was talking about who stepped up and took over the corner now that second fight again where we were talking about all the holding, the, the the use of illegal tactics in the second fight, Eddie Futch was quite concerned, and he wanted to prevent Ali from repeating this and using this sort of tactic where he grabbed behind the neck and and pull him sort of pull him towards him, get these extended clinches going on, and I think. There was one point where Futch had actually claimed that Ali had done it one hundred and thirty-three times in that second fight without being penalised by the referee. So well, you can understand where sort of Futch was coming from in in boxing terms people always say it's a kind of way of negating a fight, I mean we've seen it in a lot of fights in this modern generation where a certain fighter will, will spoil a fight in a certain way I think Mayweather is probably the primest name I can think of where I remember quite a few of his fights where he'd use a certain tactics to spoil a lot of fights as well and that's obviously what Ali was doing in the second fight with Frazier, but Futch as a result of this he, he basically sensed a little bit of trouble was going on and he thought right I'm going to do something about this now. So he, he moved to block the same referee who was in the Ali Foreman fight, which was Zach Clayton. So he decided to go to the mayor of Philadelphia, Frank Rizzo, and the mayor of Philadelphia says... We're not going to let you out of your duties as a civil service employee to go and referee that fight. So Futcher'd won that battle to stop this referee going over there. And he'd also warned the Filipino authorities that Ali was going to mar what was going to be a great event for the nation by constantly spoiling the fight and tying up Fraser illegally. So he recommended that the Filipinos got one of their own to do it and got one of their own referees to actually referee the fight. And that way it would look better on the country as a whole, because it's their representation uh, that's actually doing the fight. So it was absolutely mental to think like, this is the sort of stuff that's going on outside of the ring in the lead up to the fight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And funny enough, the referee was, uh, was Carlos Padilla as well, wasn't it? The same guy that did, uh, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard, um, sort of a decade later. Um, so Carlos Padina, you know, he wasn't a bad ref at all. So it was a good selection, really, and I thought we'd done a good job. Um, he, he wasn't really involved in it at all. So, it, it, you know, he, to to um, to their credit, I mean, it, you know, making a, a meal out of the referee situation, Eddie Futch was right to do so. To be fair, um, and and it, and it paid off because I mean, he was a good ref. Uh, to, uh, I quite like Carlos Padina from from everything I've seen of him. And he'd done several big fights, but what a fight for him to have done. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was just it, one thing after another. I mean, even uh, there was one story I picked up on where um, Ali actually, he had like a, a guy that sort of took him around the Philippines, like a tour guide, if you like, just if he wanted to go somewhere and take him there. So uh, Ali went, right, come on, let's get in a limo. Um, and he's gone, well, where are we going? And he said, well, right, we're going to uh, Fraser's Hotel. And he's actually got a replica done with him. as well, I <laughs> Ali. They, they drive to the hotel and they shout up at the back and he's, well, Fraser comes out with his entourage and he starts literally shooting off shots for, from his regular gun. And Fraser and, and his team are running inside thinking, he's mad, he's, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Obviously he didn't, he was a replica. But um, it was just those little things again, where what, what Ali would do. Because, you know, for, for, for Ali always knew that Joe Fraser was the toughest fight he'd ever had. Um, he will always he will mention other fighters but Fraser was the guy that he had to get under his skin and he was he, the reason why he did the things he did was because he was fretful with Fraser. He knew that, you know, if Fraser's on his game he was going to give him a hard fight. So if he could just do any little thing to upset the Apple cart, he would do it. He'd done it in the first fight, he would he rang him up the night before. He'd ring him up sort of in front of the sort of press as well and they'd make a big thing out of it. But there was a, a quiet conversation where he phoned up, Fraser said, you know, are you ready for the first? He's like, this is seventy one. are you ready? And Fraser's like, yeah, I'm ready. So it was these little, subtle ways of trying to get in Fraser's head. And as I say, like the replica gun and the, the guerrilla tactics, you're an ugly guerrilla and making reference to, to, to what he is he looks like and a, 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 he's dumb um, so and, and although they really did affect Fraser, even beyond the years after it, you know he still couldn't forgive Arlie because he was good friends with him I know they had a good relationship before 71 and as I say he helped him out and he, he wanted him to get his licence so the, it, it was these little bits that you know they, they really did Add up and and Ali as a say, he had other things going on. I think he, you know in his corner there telling him yeah, Ali, Fraser's shot, so you've got nothing to worry about. It's not going to be as hard as you think. And yeah, well, was he wrong?
0: Well Fraser was a lot more vocal in the build up to this one, he, you know you could see in previous instances he got really really frustrated really quickly and he'd either end up trying to get involved in a scuffle or he kind of walk off as we've seen You know, on, on, on the show that he was on where he just walked off the set after they had a little bit of a scuffle on it, but his, his team were also quite vocal in the lead up to this fight, Futch and his assistant George Benton believed that the key to winning the fight would be for Fraser to persistently attack Ali's body uh, including punches to the hips where and Ali effectively covered up his torso along the ropes. So George Benton said in the build-up to this, my expression to Joe was what you've got to do is stay on top of him and hit this son of a bitch anywhere. Hit him on the hips, hit him on the legs, you hit him anywhere. And Fraser himself, he was also coming out with some quotes that you'll probably remember, because I think think these quotes have actually been in films. Uh, So Fraser comes out and says, if you kill the body, the head will die. Once I've stopped your organs, when those kidneys and liver have stopped functioning, he can't move so fast. The organs in his body have to be functioning. If you slow them down, he cannot do what he wants to do. So there you go, Fraser and his team were a lot more vocal in this one. It was, it was everything had to go into this one, and so much so that the Ali Camp had used their championship leverage in the negotiations and they would won a couple of good points now we've seen this quite recently with Vladimir Klitschko and Tyson Fury with the, the, the padding under the ring and the size of the ring and this was no different way back in 75 the, the ring size of 21 feet allowed the ability for Ali to move and circle the ring if he chose to do so and it'd also it'd be able to allow him to use his lateral movement and the boxing skills to his advantages so he got the, the size ring he wanted as well and, and more significantly he also got the preference for the eight ounce gloves as well which was smaller and a lot less padded than the ones used in most heavyweight fights and them eight ounce gloves are well you think of mma and you think of what they are i think mma are like what are they six ounce so it was only one step up from what they were in mma
2: yeah yeah they they again once again um they they you know being a champion um they're the sort of you know, those those little touches um, were working in Ali's favour. I mean, you, you mentioned the size of the ring and the gloves, etc. I mean, even down to the arrival in Manila. Um, Ali, playing, arrived in sociable hours. He was greeted with thousands to a hero's welcome. Whereas Frazier sort of arrived early hours in the morning and was greeted to no adoring fans whatsoever. So, you know, it, again, it, you know, these... Frazier even mentioned that, you know, that was that was purposely done, Um and they're probably right um, with with Ali then sort of gate crashing as well in in Fraser's training first ever training session shouting sort of obscenities disrespecting the former champ and, and it, you know it, it, it all it was just perfect really for for Ali he was he was playing with him he thought he was not gonna be nowhere near as good as he was he, he, he basically won comprehensively in that second fight albeit under dodgy circumstances but he did get he got the victory at the end of the day so he, and and obviously. One thing you got to remember as well is that Frazier had never been stopped, and obviously you had the Suns the Sunshine Showdown over in Jamaica against George Foreman, and George Foreman had just absolutely run through him like a train. He absolutely battered the life out of Joe Frazier, and that was shocking. You know, who, Joe Frazier doesn't get done like that. So, so for George Foreman was you know all of a sudden was this massive. You know, if he could do that to dip in Joe Frazier, and also done straight after to Ken Norton. Ali's got no chance. And then Ali goes and does what he does and even does the rope-a-dope and lets him wear himself out. I mean, it, it is, it's crazy to think that he even thought to do that. And, and Ali even still said that was never a game plan against Foreman. That was just round by round. That's what he's deciding to do and he ended up getting the victory. But it just shows you styles make fights and, and Ali's Fraser, their style, would always make a good fight. You know, the left hooks that... Frazier lands in this fight, and even in the first fight and the second fight, probably not so much in the second. He catches a couple, but not many. But in that first fight, hundred percent, especially. And then in this fight as well, you know they were flooring guys. And I think that one thing when people may watch the in they might, well, no one gets knocked down. But Ali shows he's got a massive chin, and so has Frazier. And they've got this will and heart and desire as well as skill, which which makes this fight just so epic, and and just. It, just the guys in general. I mean, Frazier was a, a nice guy. He, he worked hard to get to the position he was in. And Arlie, and, and he was just an exceptional fighter. And, and it just it was brilliant. Um, I mean, even the money, in terms of their money, it was one of the biggest gates, wasn't it? I mean, th- well, I say, I think he got sort of 5.4 million, I think Arlie got. Um, and Frazier, 2 million, a little bit less, not being the champion. Um, I think in the end, Arlie got 9 million. Frazier. Roughly five in the end, all in all. It was just, you know, the fight was was at 10.45. It was at 10.45 in the morning, Sean. So just to be... So so everyone around the world could watch it. And so you can imagine the heat in the Philippines, in Manila. It was was just unreal. Unreal. Everything, you know, everything that surrounded it was just awesome.
0: Well, it was... 10 o'clock the fight took place and as you rightly pointed out it was in order to accommodate the international viewing audience, it was that big of a fight that everybody wanted to watch it, wherever you were in the world, this was a fight that it made the world stop and that's no exaggeration on anyone's part we never got to live through this particular fight, we wasn't born when this fight happened, however, watching back and looking at the, the build up surrounding it, speaking to people that were actually around at the time the fight happened, you get nothing but this was one of the best fights you'll ever see, this was one of the best build-ups, this was this, this was that. The fact that it took place over in Asia, it was absolutely boiling hot, as you rightly pointed out. One of the one of the doctors, or one of the physicians, I think it was Ali's physician, had actually come out and said it was that. It was so hot, they'd never felt a heat like it in their life at all. Not a breath of air, nothing. He said they were sitting there, and you can imagine being in the ring, and you just don't know how the fighters actually did it. It was it was unbelievable. Now, Fraser, after the fact, had estimated the ring temperature to be somewhat like 120 degrees Fahrenheit, 49 Celsius, and that was taking into account the additional effects of the additional lights that were used for the purposes of televising the fight as well. Uh, and Ali had also said that he literally lost 5 pounds in weight, 2.3 kilos in weight, during the fight due to dehydration that was how hot it was so uh, god knows how the hell they got through this fight and how the hell they managed to go as long as they did and it's interesting it just goes to show you how tough fighters were back then and i'm not suggesting fighters today are not tough but we've never seen them have to go through anything of the sort of circumstances like this now even just before the fight was taking place, there was such a long delay. You know, coming into the ring, they was in the ring for such a long period of time, and the reason for that was because of the eight ounce gloves. Now they had to wait to, for them to be brought into the ring, and that's unusual because they were always usually gloved up on you know before they go to the ring they gloved up and they warm up and everything's ready to go in the back and that's how it works but back then because there was all this controversy over the size of the gloves you know you'd mentioned it to me previously (laughs) that the gloves was was locked was they locked in a safe or something like that but let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for btr boxing podcast it's bear attack boxing providing high quality boxing gloves boxing equipment to your suitable needs you can find Find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro 1 gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout... ...and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy... ...go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high quality products... ...that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast... ...when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website... In the promo code, enter BTR10 and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your baskets. So please, go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, apparently, uh, someone said they're going to put it, they're going to lock it away in a safe. And, oh, it was, you know, usual witty self when it comes out. With it. No one's locking my gloves in a safe. <laughs> Sorry, no, no one's locking my gloves in a cage. Uh so, yeah, they they apparently so. I really don't know <laughs> the reason for it. It's just all to do with, just to make it a little bit more intriguing, I suppose. God knows what they were thinking. But, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, again, I mean, even, was, did they even, was it something to do with the judges? I remember, I see, there was a vague bit where I see Don King sort of showing Eddie Futch, the judges. I Was that a last minute thing as well? Uh, the two judges, was obviously, at this time, you know, in, in the sort of 70s, you had the referee was one of the judges as well as two judges. He so never had three judges at the ringside or around the ring. So, you know, just, just to make sure people understood that. But, yeah,
0: so um, yeah,
2: it, it was just... Who knows? What I think but it definitely added something, didn't it?
0: It certainly did. And even up to the point where both fighters and the cornerman came to the centre of the ring for the referee's final instructions, Ali couldn't help but have his final little jives on Joe Fraser telling him... You don't have it, Joe. you don't have it. I'm going to put you away. And then Fraser, as always, just smiled. Two words, we'll see. And the fight got underway. <laughs> and when I said earlier, the fight was the definition of a fight in a phone booth box. Yeah, it was. It certainly was. And all I can say that this fight is, it, you know, it, it set the way, it, set the, it was a trendsetter in terms of the way fights would end up going on to be. I mean, fights like Gatti and Ward, fights like we've talked about over the years, Corrales, Castillo, a lot of the ones we've covered with the Legendary night series, they all stem back all the way to this particular fight, the Thriller in Manila, because these two guys came out of the blocks flying. Now, Fraser, we knew was going to come out flying because we knew his tactic was to, to bob and weave using that bob and weave, you know, sort of hands up high style, sort of cross guard, coming in, using his head to get underneath the jab, but Ali was really really sharp and one thing I will say about this fight for the for the entirety of the fight was that Ali fought the fight pretty much on the back foot all the way through and there were certain points where he took sort of charge of the fight or took center ring of the fight but most of the fight itself was actually fought on the back foot from Ali which is what I found quite compelling because when you watch back through the first few rounds of the fight what you see is the rope-a-dope tactic you see it again you're starting to think to yourself This is what he did against Foreman. He's trying to do the same thing to Fraser, but... I don't think Fraser's dumb enough to use, you know, the make the same mistakes that that Foreman did. You know, knowing that Foreman got really, really tired, and especially, you know, with that intense seat that they was talking about at the time. So Fraser's coming out. He's he's getting underneath. He's trying to throw that big left hook. He's trying to get on. He's trying to work the body. But Ali's fighting back. His counter punching was was absolutely sublime in this fight, and you know it's something to behold. And he used a tactic which went on to be employed by Sugar Ray Leonard where at certain points of the fight in the you know well certain points of the round he didn't seem as active he seemed like he was just sort of letting Fraser come in back him onto the ropes but then 40 40 seconds left on the clock he just starts to explode off the ropes and land these combinations on Fraser's head, and obviously Fraser, with that sort of stance and style, he was very susceptible to getting hit. And he, you know, at times he he was walking in straight line, so he, he was always going to get hit But them first few rounds, it just set the pace of what the fight was going to be.
2: Oh yeah, I, I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, um, Ali. You know, one thing I noticed with, with, with Ali was that. They came out with his high. His, his hands quite high. I'm characteristically high, actually. I've never seen him with his. of so he comes out fast, hands center ring, flat footed, and any he unleashes flurries of combinations on Frazier. and, and Frazier was sort of as you say, he was he was getting low and he was ducking in and he was trying to get under that jab to work the body, but it was just a little. He wasn't low enough. So, so at times Ali was was hitting him at will, um, and then you know Frazier had to take one to give one. Um, but you know, every time he did try to 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 get in close enough, he just it was just out of range again. Um, it, none of the none of the shots really, especially in the first round, really affected Fraser in any real way. It wasn't until sort of the second round um, that, that he catches a, a a big right hand from Ali. Um, that sort of it sort of I wouldn't say staggers him; it sort of just wobbles him slightly. I suppose but he keeps coming for because Fraser just you know is that will and that heart. It just he kept bobbing and weaving and trying to get under that jab and Just continually went that way. Um, Ali kept his distance, as you say. He was you know, he, he was throwing counter shots. Uh, Fraser kept eating these shots up to the head. Fraser kept still going to the body. And as you alluded to earlier, what he was looking at was, was was he working that body, hitting the the the, the, uh, the hip and, and the body and and just basically stopping Ali. And in that heat, eventually he's going to take his toll. And it, you know, it did. Um, but Arlie, again, you know, he, he would just... Continue, you know, I think it was the third round where he actually... You know, that was when he went into the corner and he and he went up against the ropes. So for the first couple of rounds, he's basically in the middle of the ring and he's, he's just throwing shots and he was never going to keep up that, that that same level of sort of high intensity. So he backed into the ropes. So as you say, Fraser's there trying to get in on the body and then Arlie was blocking him and, you know, he was... Doing it exactly what, you, you, what, he was, what he does and his rope-a-dope sort of tactic, and then he just bursts out and over, and he starts throwing, starts running fast hands, and it just—it was just outstanding to see. And he was just letting his hands go, and Fraser just couldn't—he was just getting hit at will. So definitely, those first three rounds were big rounds for Raleigh. and then even in the fourth, again, I thought he was—he—he—he he, he, he was brilliant in that, and he hit him with a perfect left hook as well.
0: Well, the referee that you talked about earlier, which was Carlos Padilla, actually said after the fact that when he was refereeing the fight, during the fight, in particular <laughs> in particular, uh, I think it was the third or maybe the fourth round, he was saying Ali was still saying stuff to Fraser in the ring. So I've got a couple of quotes that apparently this is what he said during the fight. So he would say, ah one, ah two, and a three. And then he's also quoted as saying, Jap be nimble, Jap be quick. Jack, jump over the candlestick. Is that all you can give? Come on, you ugly gorilla, hit me. <laughs> and it's just, he's just, it's just a typical Ali. I mean, you know, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. I'd love to have been there and, and to be able to witness that taking place live because it just, to, to see the true greatness of, of these two fighters, it was, you know, it was amazing. And when you read all this stuff and you hear about it, it's, it just makes you feel so much more compelled to say, oh, if I had that time machine, i could go back and watch one of them fights live. Which one would you watch? Oh, this, oh, this, this is this is lovely. one of them, isn't I, it? it? Is
2: brilliant. Well, I mean. But... I mean, even the, the first one was was fight of the century, as they said, and it was a fantastic fight. And, you know, if anyone watches, the maybe just watch for the viewers, is watch the, the first one, the fight of the century, and then watch the second. And, you know, even in those first four rounds, the pattern was virtually identical. I mean, the only difference was with that sort of, def- although Frazier was the aggressor and Arlie was countering, the only difference was it was very one-sided, those first four rounds. Whereas... In in uh, in the first one, it wasn't such it was it was much more tighter and and Frazier was doing a lot more, but he was getting lower. I think that's one thing you would see. I, for me, when I was I watched, I watched the final century and I watched the third one, and Fraser's just lower, and, and he really manages to whip that left hook in when he's going targeting to the body, but. Oh, it's just unreal, isn't it? I mean, Ali in that fourth round again—you know—he continued to fight off the ropes and just pick Fraser off at will. And he just the way he could just manipulate and, and mix up his style, Ali. I mean, it, it was brilliant for a heavyweight. It's unreal. I, he he changed his style completely compared to the style we see with, when he fought Sunny Liston when he was that young, brash kid who was bouncing around the ring, and he just adopted that rope. But he used it in such a way that he, like, like you say with Leonard, what Leonard would do is he would just have those bursts for like 40 seconds. And that would be enough to win the round. Um, and that is basically what was happening in those first four rounds.
1: Ken Norton, uh, what is the difference between the punches Frazier was throwing when Ali was playing rope-a-dope and covering up on the ropes and the punches that Foreman uh, threw at Ali to no avail? Well, I would have to say that on Foreman's punches, there were more roundhouse punches. Joe's trying to pick his spots. He's trying to go between the hands. He's trying to go behind the elbows, between the kidneys. And this is bound to have a telling effect later on in the round if the fight goes that far. This I'm, is when uh, Ali puts on the rally towards the end of the round. That's right. Tracer cannot match hand speed with Ali. So his best bet is to try to stay inside. And Ali starts flurrying. He's either tying up or pushing toward the ropes. I He's noticed up. that Ali missed a lot in that round as though he were over-anxious. Uh, To a certain extent he had played so much in the round And towards the latter part of the round Always in the last 15 or 10 seconds He tried to throw a big flurry
0: So we're getting to the 5th round then And Fraser's starting to get his timing He's starting to get his rhythm Uh, His bobbing and weaving's pretty much spot on at this point He's able to avoid all the oncoming fists of the champion and then for the first time in the fight he started to land some solid left hooks to Ali's head. He spent who spent much of the you know the, the the time of the round on the ropes. And according to Angelo Dundee what he was quoted as saying was this was the worst thing he could do because making joe pick up momentum where he could drive those shots to the body Ali, ali's method of sort of self defense uh, had also worsened as well notice, noticeably in this round as well uh, one of the boxing journalists who was at ringside jerry eisenberg uh, said somewhere in, in around the 4th or the 5th round joe had hit him with a right hand <laughs> i didn't think joe could tie shoes with his right hand <laughs> <laughs> and he also says uh, he also says <laughs> uh, and Ali also pulls back and says you don't have no right hand you can't do that and bing he hits him with another right hand and then obviously Ali <laughs> you know at this point starting to think shit I'm in a fight and his guard's starting to visibly lower as well and you notice around about this round where the, the the body shots were starting to take the toll a little bit actually because he's starting to drop his guard a little bit which is what was leading fraser to get through and land some of them great left hooks and as soon as it jumped into the sixth round as soon as the the bell rang to the sixth round fraser landed an absolutely huge left hook which thudded against the right side of ali's face and it knocked knocked him back it sort of staggered him back a little bit by the force of the blow and he sort of landed back into the ropes but strangely enough although it looked like it was an absolute thunderous shot he bounced back off the ropes, and you wouldn't have even thought that it had had an effect on him because he didn't seem dazed. He didn't seem groggy. He still, ca- you know, he still carried on trying to sort of show his bravado, but you could sort of tell in in a roundabout way he'd gone a little bit stiffer after the back of off the back of the shot. But he just he had this amazing poker face in the ring Ali, and, and that was another example of it in that six round so if you watch that six round back you'll see the, the left hook that's landed and you'll see him sort of go back but then you think to yourself no 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 he's fine but then you sort of see how it visibly affects him 10-20 seconds later you know the sort of after effects of that shot was quite you know it's quite evident in the fight but it was another big round and uh, I think it was quite a big round for for Fraser as well because he started to really get through uh, and get a lot of shots on Ali and this is where you know we started to see the turn of the tide a little bit it was more about Fraser sort of trying to get through and land them shots and this was sort of the, the, the sort of tick over round where I felt actually this is where he's starting to turn the fight.
2: Definitely. Uh, I mean, that, that left hook that you just you mentioned in the six, some experts actually say that was the greatest left hook that Frazier ever threw. So, you know, you make your own bones about that. You know, this is just, we say experts, but, you know, it was a big, big left hand. And as you say, Arley does take it and he has that unbelievable poker face where he could just pretend it didn't hurt him. But it definitely did because, you know, even when, even whether it was the sixth, people say it's the sixth, I'm say it's the seventh, but um, it was at the beginning of, I've got it here, at the beginning of the seventh round when Ali obviously starting to feel the fight now. He actually whispered into Frazier's ear and he said, Joe, they told me you was washed up. <laughs> <laughs> and he started to, and this is why he's sort of dancing around. So if I, I remember rightly, it would have been the beginning of the seventh because he does come out at the seventh on his toes and started to move him back. And then Fraser comes back with they lied, and then just throws a solid right hand, as you say, that right hand again. So, you know, they were having the war of words in the middle of this fight, and and it was probably sort of as you say, the tide was definitely turning from from that fifth, um, where all of a sudden, when Arlie was backing off, and then Fraser's sort of just started really getting closer, and that guard was slipping, wasn't it? It wasn't as tight as it was, and. and Frazier was finding his, his shots were finding his finding a target basically, uh, and, and you know the tide was hundred percent turning in Fraser's favour. So Ali clearly feeling it, realised after the fifth and sixth, of spending a lot of the time on the ropes or on the corner, that he decided actually round seven, I think I'm going to come out and start moving a bit. And Ali was fighting beautifully on the back foot, landing, and he, he actually lands an absolutely superb uppercut. That uppercut is terrific to see, and and that seventh round. I actually gave it to, to Ali, although it was close and probably Frazier did enough to win it. Many, many people did. Many experts say that that Fran was a Frazier Um I, I think, for me, I just, I just felt that, that uppercut and, and the way Ali came out on his toes and, again, mixing up his style because he had that in his armoury. He was able to fight on the ropes and then also be on his toes and fighting on the outside. And although he, got, he was older, you know, he was, what, 33 in this fight, wasn't he? So, it might not sound old, but after the amount of fights, Ali had you're talking 15 rounders. I'm telling you, that's going to take, it, take its toll on you. But, I mean, the eighth round for me was a brilliant round. Um, and it just epitom- epitomises their clash of wills for me. It was just brilliant, the eighth round. The big first minute from Ali, who rallies with big shots, showing off his hand speed. Ali tries to push Fraser on the back foot by literally just hitting him with a barrage of punches, but Fraser don't budge. Ali's defence isn't so tight, and he allows Fraser more room. Again, finding the gaps, sort of backing onto the ropes, and Fraser just swamps Ali for the rest of the round. It was just brilliant, absolutely excellent eighth round that.
0: And then we get into the ninth, which was much more of the same. But at the end of the ninth round, you can see Ali starting to tire a lot more now. And he's quoted as saying to Angelo Dundee, man, this is the closest I've ever been to dying whilst in the opposite corner (laughs) Fraser's suffering from swelling around his face which is starting to become more evident now as he's starting to look a little bit like the Elephant Man at this point with the amount of (laughs) swelling he's got on on that side of his face but this was an accumulation of hundreds of punches that you know Ali were throwing off the off the back of the ropes and off the back foot, you know, we we we, we emphasize, have to emphasise how many punches he was actually throwing. Maybe we don't do it that much justice in that respect, so when you do go and watch the fight or if you've already watched the fight and you're listening, you'll you'll know how many punches were thrown by Ali. It was unbelievable work rate in that fight for him, regardless of how tired he looked, the man had an unbelievable heart both men had an unbelievable unbelievable heart in the ring. But that swelling starting to, I think, have a little bit of an effect now, because for Frazier, something that we'd never touched on with Frazier, is actually, he was nearly blind in his left eye, because he had a training accident in 1965, so it was a pretty bad development, because it was on the same side as, as that eye, so it was starting to affect his field of vision a little bit, and the fight then continues, we're going 10th and then 11th, and in the 11th round, I think, where... We start, we get to see where the tide is starting to turn more back to Ali's favour now I think Joe Frazier had had them sort of middle rounds, he got his success but then Ali was always there he was always throwing the punches, he was always landing both men were landing, you know both men were getting the success, that's why I always refer to it as a fight in a phone box because they both had success throughout every single round however, at this point the 11th round, it starts to turn the tide a little bit I think, and I think when you watch back on the fight you can see where Ali, he's landing quite frequently and Eddie Futch is basically saying to Fraser in the corner what's with this right hand business what's going on (laughs) so (laughs) Futch had had, had basically told him to try and stand more upright when approaching Ali rather than continuing his usual bobbing and weaving style which I think was probably a bad bit of advice really
2: yeah I I think completely And, uh, and the funny thing is we've with uh, Eddie Futch I mean Eddie Futch actually came in and he actually was he assisted that Bob and Weave so that's that's interesting uh, he was one that, that basically that was a good defensive mechanism for Fraser because you know he didn't go too many rounds to be fair because he was knocking guys out with that just unbelievable left hook but that's interesting that Eddie said that to him but you know I suppose he sees something and he felt that you know with with Arlie tiring, maybe it was his best bet um but yeah, I mean, I mean that eleventh again. It, the fight become a savage war. Sometimes, I mean, I was watching the eleventh round, and you know, there would it was just it, they called it the thriller. Melinda for a reason. It was a thriller. Um, Ali was piling the pressure on, him, and you know, rightly again, where well, you, you mentioned with with Frazier back in '65 with a training incident where he was partially bright, blind in, in his left eye, and just just going off off the fight here, it was actually uh, he went to medical in '65 and he covered. The, the good one. He covered the bad eye and then you sort of read the letters on the wall. And then when the doctor turned his back, he just used the same eye again <laughs> when they <laughs> thought they'd So So, I don't know, you could never get away with that today. I mean, the medicals back then were a lot easier to pass, obviously. But yeah, obviously, really, he, he, he's, he's basically impaired going into the 12th round, Frasier. Um, but again, you know, as you say, early the momentum's clearly changing because because he's just, Ali's hitting him at will. Although, again, Ali, how the hell he's able to just to continually be It Just just keep throwing the shots. I mean, he must have been exhausted. Could you imagine going into that 12th round where normally, you know, fights are stopped. You know, these are 15-round fights. You know, there's a reason why they don't do 15 fights anymore. But it was, it was unbearable to watch at times that 12th round. You know, I found myself just having to look away sometimes. It's brutal how Ali was, I'm um, just landing shot after shot on, on Frazier. And I wouldn't have been surprised in today's, you know, in the way things are today if uh, the referee would have probably stepped in and stopped it or at least got the doctor in, you know, today where they'll, they'll have a break and the referee would go, you know, can you yeah, the doctor have a quick look? And, and I think the doctor would have probably called it off because he couldn't see. I mean, it was crazy, but, Another brilliant round in the 12th, uh, moving on to the 13th. And yeah, you crack on, mate. it's brilliant.
0: Well, one of the problems that they were having in Frager's corner, the fact that he had obviously this swelling and his eyesight was limited in the left eye, was also the fact that, I allude back to the fact we were talking about how hot it was in there and how m- many people had reported how hot it was in there. The the corner were really struggling to maintain a functional ice bucket, so it was melting. It was basically all the ice that they were throwing, and melting in between rounds. It was melting that quick because it was that damn hot. So they weren't even able to, you know, reduce the swelling because the, the the ice packs were were melting really really quickly. It was like literally putting it on his face, and it's just melting, and it's not even doing the job it's there to do, which is to we try and reduce the swelling on on the on the left side of Fraser. So it really really would not help him. And then, like you say, you move on then to the. 13th round where this is where it became a bit a bit hard to watch for me now I think at this point I'm I'm struggling because I'm looking at them thinking he's just taking so many clean shots so many clean and I think midway through the 13th round there was uh, two tremendous right hand which smashed the gum shield sailing out of Fraser's mouth and the sight of Frazier sort of backing off a little bit more now, which is something we don't really see Frazier do in fights that he was involved in. He started to move back. It started to inspire Ali at this point. And then you can see Ali starts to charge forward. He starts to take centre ring then. And this, you know, for one of the, you know, First times in the fight, it wasn't the first time, but one of the major points of the fight is where he starts to take centre ring in that 13th round. He's starting to throw tremendous punches onto Fraser, which is difficult to watch because you know Fraser can't see half of them coming, if not all of them coming, because he's, you know, Ali, he knows, he knows he's got him, he knows at this point that he's got that... Eyesight, the visibility's gone. He's throwing the shots on the same side where he's he's really really hurt and he's swelling and it's just gonna make things ten times worse for him. And it just it just seemed like the punches he were throwing, even in the thirteenth round, were as hard as the ones he were throwing when he knocked out George Foreman in Zaire. And it just it was again, it's I, I can't emphasize it enough. When you do watch it, if you've not watched it or if you have watched it, you'll be able to relate. It was so hard to watch because it was in this. Day, I think in this day and age, that would have been stopped. Or you know, maybe even at that point of the thirteenth round, I think maybe the towel would have been thrown in by by most trainers. I think at this point,
2: I think I think so. Um, I, I mean, the the unbelievable will from Joe Frazier to to withstand what he was taking, and, and that that wonderful right hand when the mouthpiece come flying out and flew into the crowd was. A wonderful shot, and a wonderful shot. And you could just see Fraser's legs dip as well after several lefts and rights. Some he's on his feet. I, what, what I was watching the other night. I was just in disbelief. How the, how the hell is this guy stood on his feet? And and how the hell was Ali? He was <laughs> exhausted as he was, able to throw as many shots as he was. I mean, his arms must have felt like just dead weights. I mean, how the hell you could even lift your arms, let alone throw a shot like that. At, and so many, because you know in his head he's obviously thinking, God, I've got to get rid of him. But you know this is a forty-minute battle now, uh, and you know forty minutes, and this is fights are over now. You know we watch it today, and they have off rounds. Everyone has a little off round. They have had one off round, really, um, one round where they, you know, I think after the after the eighth, they slowed down slightly. But you know even in the fault eighth phase, it's clearly his sight is so impaired, um, and it wasn't. It was later revealed uh, that Frazier, you know, obviously, he had the eye issue. So we already mentioned that, actually. But, um, so, you know, he's basically blind completely. Uh, he actually, at the end of the 14th, it's Carlos Padilla that actually guides Frazier back to his corner. You can't see the guy. It's crazy. Um, and then Arlie something in his corner after the 14th, after another good round for Arlie. And uh, when Arlie sits down in the corner, he says, cut him off. Dundee he just says cut him off, basically just cut the glass off. He's, again, it, it feels like he's gonna die. And, <laughs> and and Dundee just says, No, 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 we're not gonna because obviously by this point the tide's changed, and he's probably thinking there's no way that Fraser's gonna come out. And then obviously Eddie Frutch, Eddie Frutch, sorry, in the corner. Um, and, and I think you know, this this point he sort of says, You know, I've had enough of seeing this, and I'm gonna throw the tower, I'm gonna stop this fight. Um Frazier obviously Definitely, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't want it to stop. You know, I want him, boss. He keeps Han. I want him. Um, he's trying to convince Futch to just let him out for that last round. And then Fraser actually himself says that Futch says to him, How many fingers am I holding up? Um, and uh, Fraser responds, One, where Futch is holding three. So, no, he can't see a finger. And from that point, he says, It's all over. Um, no i will ever forget what you did here today. And uh, he signalled to a free to end the bout. But, you know, Ali, literally, I don't think it could have even come out for the 15th. He was exhausted himself, um, and literally as he stood up, he collapsed because he was just exhausted with just heat exhaustion, and just the fight itself, um, they were both completely spent, and they put on an absolutely amazing spectacle, and Eddie Fudge was absolutely right. No one will ever forget what both guys did that night. Just, Just a
1: question. Did you have any doubt about winning at any time? Well, round 10, I surprised Joe had so much stamina. I surprises surprised I didn't he didn't And if I didn't have the condition, I know I would have lost. It was too much pressure. I think he deserved a, a, a lot of surprise. He is the greatest fighter of all times next to me. Except for you. Except for me.
0: No one will ever forget it, and this is why we get podcasts like this. Legendary nights because we get amazing <laughs> nights like that. Now Ali later told his biographer, the, the, the Thomas Hauser, the great Thomas Hauser, uh, Fa- Fraser quit just before I did. I didn't think I could fight any more. So there you go. As you was talking about the fact that he wanted his gloves cutting off, he was just about to quit the fight. Dundee, obviously, must have looked around and knew, knew there was something going on in the other corner and obviously Fudge had enough, like you're saying, that was the end of the fight. But you just see, like, at the end of the fight, you could just see... The, the, I think my, my summary of this fight is that both men left... A piece of the soul in the ring that night. They definitely did because at the end of the fight, no, nobody's celebrating. Nobody's not. No, well, no, none of the two fighters are anyway. Both of them are not celebrating whatsoever at all. They both absolutely just spent completely spent. You've got all the team around. Obviously, Ali, you know, going nuts, going bananas about the fact that he's just won and he's beat Fraser. And, but Ali's just. He, no, he's just there's just nothing in him at all. There's nothing in him. He's just won the 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 biggest you know one of the biggest fights of his career there, and and you know he's just he can't even lift his arms up to celebrate because he's absolutely fucked. He's knackered, and I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine how he felt at this point. And uh, when he said it's the closest things to dying, yeah, I, you know. There you go. That just says it all, really. Uh,
2: I, I, do i you know what made me laugh was the guy with the microphone he comes on to try to interview Ali Ali's on the floor he's literally sitting on the floor he's absolutely exhausted and this guy's maybe we can get a word with Ali I was, leave him the fuck alone he's <laughs> just been in an absolute war <laughs> and you want to get a few words out of him I mean again today I mean they do do it today but they, they don't just walk in the ring like that uh, but you know Ali just looked spent and so did Fraser they both did they are they, they not real I mean you, you mentioned Thomas Houser and Someone tells actually come out of a great quote as well where he said uh, they weren't really fighting for the world heavyweight championship of the world, they were fighting for the world heavyweight championship of each other, and I think it's basically bang on. They really were their wills, it's just this absolute will to want to win it was just evident. I mean, it was unbelievable what what, what you witness when you watch this fight and. You can't compensate just what they went through that night and for the entertainment of us to watch this and, and, you know, obviously for us to discuss. But that took something from the pair of them absolutely sure. And I couldn't, you know, Frasier was done, I think, from that point. Absolutely done. Um, And so was Ali. But, um, you know, he obviously decided to carry on, which I still feel was, was a poor decision. I think that was the point. I think they both should have just retired that night.
0: You know, when I think back to watching the fight, and I think back to the way it all ended for Muhammad Ali, it makes me think whether this particular fight, as I said earlier, took a piece of his soul in the ring. But I wonder if it was part of part and parcel of the sort of the beginning of the end, because obviously from this point he had he had wars with Ken Norton, Ernie Shavers, two fights with Leon Spinks, and then. My word, the the Larry Holmes and the Trevor Burbeck fights, you know, so so sad, so sad to watch, so sad to watch the way he speaks, so slow before the fights, how he's so slow in the fights, it's it's it's, re- it's really really sad to see. To be honest with you, and, and and obviously the rest is history, and we all know how ill he became, you know, in these later years before he eventually passed away in in 2016. But it was for me, it was. It was an unbelievable fight, unbelievable night, and for Fraser, his career really didn't take any more turns after that, because he then went in to fight George Foreman and got beat off George Foreman, Uh, and then, uh, that's for a second time by the way, he got stopped by George Foreman for a second time in 76, and then decided to have one more fight in 81, uh, and got a draw, majority draw against Floyd Cummings, and that was kind of the end of his career, Uh, but like I say, and I, I will say it again, because I think that night uh, in 75 was the night where they left everything in the ring in terms of uh, who they were at the best. I think I think after that, I don't think they, they, they... I mean, people might argue this fact, of course, but I think that was where they were both at their phenomenal peak primes. People will say maybe it was the 60s version of, obviously, Ali, that was his peak physical prime, and he lost a few years because he weren't able to fight, but I think this was where it was at the pinnacle of the sport for me and the reason I say it was at the pinnacle of the sport at this point is going back to how big the fight was and, and for me it was the biggest fight of, of all time at that time because the legacy of it is that it was pioneering because it was the, the use of the communication technology involved in it so HBO became the first television network in history to deliver a continuous signal via satellite by broadcasting the thriller in Manila so this was revolutionary technology used at the time so it was uh, using linking satellites with, with cable television and it was using this retransmitter to program and it was, it was almost Unbelievable. And also, the Thriller in Manila was also the very first boxing bout to be held on pay-per-view home cable television, which was transmitted through HBO. So it was basically like the birth of HBO pay-per-view.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really was. It, 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 yeah, I, I can't argue with anything you say there. It really it, it is just an epic, epic fight. Um, and I do, I, I mean, I said earlier, at the top of the show, this is the Godfather of Legendary Nights. And it really was... Um, yeah, they both had major fights throughout their whole career, but this, you know, everything was leading up to this. I mean, the seventies in itself, as a heavyweight division, was just wonderful, and Ali and Frazier were massive parts of it throughout. From, you know, I suppose you have got the mid seventies, and then obviously into the late seventies, Ali's fading. Um, Frazier obviously he's done his bit. Um, obviously mid sixties as well. They, you know, they were both prominent. Obviously, Ali lost those peak peak years in his career. Who knows what he could have done in those three years when he was in exile. But, you know, they're just... What they, what they put on was, was a masterclass. And, you know, from the first, very first fight in 71, you don't want to go too much into it because you never know why I come back up for a legendary night that first one because that was so big. I mean, that, that first fight, you know, they, there were discussions about literally having that fight in a plane. I mean, that is no exaggeration. Somebody put molded a plane together and put a ring in it with a few seats and they were going to try to get that far in an airplane and that was something they really thought about it's it's unbelievable to think about but that was the 70s and you know we had the moon thing the other night that was on and you know that was that was the sort of crazy thoughts and ideas they were coming out with but two these two guys were brilliant i mean they were sensational um and, and, and you know even just just from from the from the 1960s with Ali, for instance, just jumping back a little bit, but in 1960, you've got to think, Ali won regional golden gloves, he won national, he won the US Olympic trials, and then he won a gold medal, all in 1960. Within four years, he was world heavyweight champion after beating Sonny Liston. It's unbelievable. And then he had this crazy exile when he comes back, and then in the 1970s, he, he does what he does against Foreman, which is almost pinnacle, almost the same as what he'd done to Liston, where people just rip him off and then he comes up, and then Fraser has this brilliant fight with um, So yeah, it's a brilliant trilogy and a fantastic rivalry. It's Rivalry that will go through sporting history, one of the probably most prominent sporting rivals in boxing, even in sport. Uh, and it, it was just a, it was great to watch these fights back and and to just look back on all all the build up and the fight itself.
0: Well, a couple of other little uh, nuggets of information for people listening is that on the undercard of the Thriller in Manila was a heavyweight, Larry Holmes. He was 16-0 at the time, moved to 17-0, beating Rodney Bobic on that card. So I don't know if anybody would have known that, probably not, but Larry Holmes was actually on that undercard as well. And the second little bit of nugget of information, which I didn't even know, and I don't actually remember this, even though it was quite recently, uh, in 2006, the Manny Pacquiao versus Oscar Larios fight in the Philippines was actually billed as Thriller in Manila 2, something which I completely forgot about, Mm. but when I look back on it, I do vaguely recall it. It happened in 2006, but obviously it was never ever going to even go anywhere near the original thriller in manila of course but you know because it was in the philippines because Manny pacquiao was a big star in the philippines they'd obviously labeled it thriller in manila too it was just another way of selling the fight of course but going back to my final thoughts on the thriller in manila ali fraser free is he's he's up there he's he's one of the greatest fights i've ever seen like i we bang on about it every every week we do an episode but you know, this kind of stands out as one of them for me, where there was so much behind it all—the build-up to it, the animosity between them, the history between them, the, the the heart and desire and the passion they both shown on the night. And if you actually watch the the the, the small post-fight interview that actually took place uh, when when you were talking about the commentator, I think it was Don Dunphy, I think it was, who interviewed him in the ring at the time when he was on the floor. He literally, he literally, yeah, he literally gives the biggest compliment to fraser uh, at the end of the fight in the very aftermath of the fight he gives the biggest compliment he talks about joe fraser being the greatest second to me he has to have that little bit at the end of course but you know he was right he he obviously is considered the greatest heavyweight of all time and one of the greatest fighters of all time and he he, i think there was just so much respect after this point It was it was untrue how much respect they ended up having for each other after all this had, had gone down. But, yeah, this fight, again, I'll, I'll nick one of your most famous catchphrases from the show. It was unbelievable.
2: <laughs> it really was. Don't know. I can't, I, I, the thing is, is we do these big fights. That's the only word that sort of pings out on, in my head because they are, they really are. It's like, you know, Cammy, is it? It's unbelievable, Jeff. Um, but, yeah, uh, two, two, two—absolutely uh, amazing fighters. Um, Ali, for me, is the greatest heavyweight ever. That's just my opinion. He really is the best, great—the greatest heavyweight to ever lace up a pair of gloves. Um, uh, the only there's only two guys you could probably put him close to put close to Ali for me, and that would be Jack Johnson and and Joe Louis. But other than that, uh, honestly, I don't believe. On his day, when Arlie was on his day, he was just phenomenal. He was brilliant to watch. Um, Saying that, Joe Frazier might not be the greatest in my eyes, but he will always be within the top 10, if not probably a bit higher than that. And you could stick Joe Frazier in any era in boxing history and he will be a world champion. Any era, any era, sorry. He will have a title or he will push a champion for a title. He was that good, Frazier. And he was under it's sad to say really because you know everything that happened with Ali and he managed to sell the rights for him for, for Ali for like 50 million dollars and you had Joe Frazier who was sort of living in the back of his gym you know just in a poor area in in, uh, in Philly so if not I say Philly it might have been South Carolina I think it was Philly you know, but two excellent excellent fighters and uh, as I say Ali was the greatest heavyweight in my eyes um, There is my one favourite quote. Uh, Unfortunately, it wasn't this fight. It was actually the rumble in the jungle. But my favourite Ali quote is, Ali fights great. He's got
0: speed and endurance. If you decide to fight him, increase your insurance <laughs> 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 yeah oh man he'd tell you it was some fantastic quotes that came out of it and like I said unbelievable fighter really enjoyed covering this episode for legendary nights appreciate everybody that has voted for this particular fight it was billed the US heavyweights we had some great US heavyweight fights uh, from yourself Johnson you give us all the heavyweight fights in this poll this one came out on top really enjoyed covering this particular episode I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this particular episode. And of course, if you have, then please let us know. Drop us a message on Twitter. You can tweet us. You can message us on Facebook. You know where to find us on Twitter. It's at BTR Boxing Pod. Facebook is BTR Boxing Podcast. You can subscribe on any podcasting platform: Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker. Player FM, even Spotify as well, go and find us on any of them available apps and you can subscribe and listen to all the latest episodes from all the different series that we're running at the moment, I hope you've really enjoyed this Johnston, thanks so much for coming on guys, I hope you've enjoyed the, the tale of Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, number 3
1: and right now, Thomas Hertz is an open book for Ray Leonard, backs up against the ropes this is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport the first class a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. cut by.